John chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see your truth in in clarity today. Father, we pray that you would expose the sin or the lack of love in our own hearts and lives. God, we ask that you would just propel us forward, Father, to, to love well, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with the love that you have put in us. God, help us to be patient. God, help us to fix broken relationships quickly. God, give us uh, forgiving and restoring hearts. Father, I pray that you would give us the the will to sacrifice and to be put out in order to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we do pray for our our brothers and sisters in in Nepal. God, just asking for your blessing upon Sacti Baptist Church and Pastor Prim and Samip and David and uh, Amit and... And each of the interns, uh, Father, we ask that you would do great things uh, through them and in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this section starts out with Judas leaving, and it seems that Jesus intentionally waits till he leaves in order to say what he's about to say today. And and I think think when you see what Jesus says, that's going to make sense. Uh, have Have you ever been... In a situation where something came up and you needed to talk, you need to have a, a conversation with your family, but there were other people in the room that really it wasn't appropriate to have the conversation until they left. Have, have you ever had, you, you've had that situation, right? I mean, like there's something you need to talk about, but really you need to wait till these folks leave in order to talk about that. And I really think that's what's happening here in verse 31, where it says, now, now Judas left, right? Jesus tells him, you know, go do what you're going to do. And, and the other disciples don't know that he's about to betray Jesus. And, and so he leaves the room and then Jesus talks to them about the impact of their love for one another upon the world, okay? And so, so Jesus is basically saying, hey, guys, I, I'm about to leave. I'm about to go to the cross. That, that's the event that prompts this discussion. It's about to happen. If you know in the Gospel of John, this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion, okay? So what we have left in the Gospel of John, it all happens, you know, in, in basically a day, Okay? Uh, and so Jesus is going to teach more. He's, he's going to have uh, the high priestly prayer. They're going to go to the garden. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be falsely tried. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be crucified. And he's going to rise from the dead. Okay, that, that's what's coming ahead in the Gospel of John. And when Jesus talks about the cross, he talks about it as the display of his glory. Isn't that interesting? Now, not just one times, but that was almost cumbersome, wasn't it? In, in verse 31 and 32, five times Jesus describes the glory of the cross. He says, now is the Son of Man glorified, 
and God is glorified in him, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. I mean, five times Jesus describes the cross in terms of glory. Now, I, I think you know what glory is, right? Glory is the radiating of, of the manifold perfections of God. In other words, it's when we have a chance to see God's power and, and mercy and love and infinite grace shine, right? It's a display of the character of God. It's a display of who he is and what he's done. And, and so in many ways, the cross is the ultimate display of God's glory, right? So you t- think about things like justice, okay? The cross is the ultimate radiating display of the justice of God. I was talking with a, 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 a sexual abuse survivor this week, and, and one of the things that I, I was just encouraging and reaffirming is that there is complete and absolute justice in God. Like, there is not justice in this world. There is not justice in our court system. All of that falls way short. But in God, there is this radiating beauty that all things will be completely atoned for and justified in him. Whether in hell forever with the wrath of God pouring down upon the guilty or upon the cross where Jesus fully and completely and sufficiently paid for those who are joined to him for their sin. In the cross, there is this glorifying justice. There's this glorifying mercy of God in the cross where where a wretch like me in, in giving myself to Christ is able to be showered upon with his riches and kindness and and mercy that we absolutely don't deserve. In the cross, we see the power of God to defeat death and to join us to resurrection life. And and so the cross is this ultimate display of the glory of Jesus. I I was preaching in Romans 5 and 6 in Nepal one Sunday, or it's actually a Saturday. And man, I I just love the picture of Romans 5 and 6. So in 5, you have this this two atoms, right? And and you have the first atom, okay? The the first man ever created who who doesn't trust God. He and Eve don't trust God. And and they fall into sin. And when they fall, they take us all with them, right? You've seen those, uh, those shows where there's like mountain climbers and they're all attached to one another, you know, and they're, they're climbing and one guy falls and if that anchor doesn't hold and he goes and it comes out of the wall, it's just like boom, 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 you know, and they all go and it drags them all to their death. That's exactly what happened with Adam. When Adam fell into sin, we all plunged off the cliff, off the, uh, off the, the abyss into the wrath of God together. Uh, everyone, Adam falls and Cain and Abel fall and Seth goes and generations after generations after generations and even Abraham and Moses and David and all humanity plunging in this free fall gets heavier and heavier and heavier as all humanity is, is falling into the abyss of God's wrath and then comes Jesus, right? And then God steps out of the heavens into into human flesh. And Jesus, the perfect man who's not shackled to Adam, he's the second Adam, right? He's born of a virgin. He's not tainted with with original sin. And and, and so Jesus is the perfection of humanity. And he steps to the edge of that abyss abyss, and he throws a chain of faith over. And all who, who would grab onto him, right? He holds us all. We're in this free fall over the cliff into the abyss of hell and Jesus Christ holds us all and we all latch on every believer latches on to that chain of faith and he holds strong and he holds us up 
and he digs in his heels and the devil is tempting him and men are mocking and falsely accusing and the disciples are bumbling and denying and doubting and Jesus holds us all up and he holds us up while he's butchered on a cross and laid in a grave and then on the third day he rises from the dead and up we go, right? He, he's, he's got us. And up we go. And not, not just pulls us out of the wrath of God, but he pulls us into glory. He raises us into the heavenlies. He seats us at the right hand of God the Father. That's glory, is it not? Like, have you ever heard of anything more glorious than that? Of Jesus Christ rescuing us, holding us all, dragging us out of the pit of hell into the, into the glories of heaven. That is glory. So the cross is glory. And so Jesus starts out here saying, I'm about to be glorified. I'm about to go to the cross. And you can't go. And like, like he says that. He, he said that earlier. And, and he says it in here in verse 33. He says, little children, yet a little while and I'm with you and you'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I think there's a couple things there. Number one, you, you can't go to the cross with me. Like, Jesus is going to do this. He's got to do it on his own. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can, can hold up humanity. He's the only one that can rescue us. So he's going alone. But not only is he going alone, but he's going away. And, and they can't go yet. They're, they're going to be left and the disciples are going to be staying, and they're going to stay, and they're going to represent Jesus to the world. Jesus is leaving, his church is staying, and the church is going to be the representation of Jesus to the world. Jesus no longer walks the earth, but Crystal does, right? Jesus no longer walks the earth, but Tony and Michelle do. And, and we literally are the representation of Jesus Christ to the world, okay? And very specifically here, the disciples are to represent Christ to the world by their love for one another. That's where verse 34 comes in. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, okay? So very specifically, the world is gonna know that we are Jesus' disciples by our love for one another. Now, first of all, what's a disciple? Um, I don't wanna take for granted that we're all on the same page there. What, what exactly is a disciple? Um, I, I think it can be a little confusing because a lot of people, when they think of a disciple, they think of who? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, right? They think of the 12 um, I think it's, it's a little clearer to call those guys apostles, right? Because uh, they were the 12 apostles. Because disciple, though they were disciples, disciple is, is something that you and I hopefully are. If you're a born-again believer, hopefully you are a disciple of Jesus. Because a disciple is simply a, a learner, okay? That, that'd be a good definition. Uh, a, a disciple is, is a learner. It, it's, a, it's an imitator. It's, it's someone who, who, who learns from a teacher. In other words, if... if if I'm going to pick somebody out and I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to listen to what you say and I'm going to do it and, and, and I'm going to watch what you do and I'm going to imitate it, okay, I'm, I'm their disciple, right? Like, like, that's simply what a disciple means. Now, I know it's a little bit maybe, uh, maybe more rounded out in the scripture in the fact that, that a disciple of Jesus is one who Matthew 28 tells us has been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they've been joined to Jesus in a faith relationship. They've received the Holy Spirit. They have the Spirit of God in them. And then Matthew 28 says, and then they're taught 
to obey all that Jesus commanded. So that, that would be another good de definition of a disciple. Someone who's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and someone who is taught to obey all that Jesus has commanded. However, for the sake of our discussion today, I, I, I want to just use the Gospel of John. Uh, just because John has three really cool verses about um, proving that you're a disciple. Okay, so, so John has three, three verses in the Gospel of John where he says, hey, by this you're going to know that you're really a disciple. By this you're going you're to prove, you're going to show, you're going to display that you're really a disciple. And so let me read those three verses to you. One is John 8, 31. And in John 8, 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Okay, so the first, first kind of proof or evidence that John gives is if you're a person who abides in his word. Now, what does abide in his word mean? The word, the word abide means to remain, to stay, to live in, okay? So in other words, if you're a person who you live, you abide, you remain in the word of God. In other words, you're, you're constantly hearing, obeying, hearing, obeying, hearing, obeying. Okay, that's a person who's abiding in the word. You, you've, you've heard the words of Jesus, you're, you're studying the words of Jesus, you're listening to the word of, words of Jesus, and you are obeying them. You're abiding in his word, okay? That, that'd be a great picture or a proof that you're a disciple. The second one is here in John 13 that we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at, but it, it's this, this element of love. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have Love for one another. And so the second proof there is, is loving each other, loving other believers well. If we love other believers well, we prove that we are his disciples. And the final one, if you just turn the page, it's turn the page in my Bible anyway, is John 15. In John 15, verse 8, it says, um, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So I, I really like those three. I think together they make a great picture of, of here's what it means to be a disciple. You abide in his word. You're a hearer and obeyer of his word. You, you love the brothers. So you, you love the brothers with Jesus' love. And then finally, you're a person that bears fruit. I think that's a great rounded out definition of how do you show yourself to be a disciple of Jesus. So the mark we're looking at today is the John 13 one. And that is that is. How do, you, how, do you, how do you prove that you're a disciple? How do you display to the world um, that you're a disciple? By, by loving one another just as I have loved you. Now, notice in verse 34, it says that th this is a new commandment. Jesus says, a, a new commandment that I give to you. Now, if you, if you know your Bible, and I know a lot of you do, you're, you're going to say, well, hold on. Uh, that, that's other places in the Bible. Like, like that's not brand new, you know? Like, like, way back in the Old Testament, we were told to love one another. In fact, there's a, a verse in Leviticus um, that, that is, is clearly saying that. Leviticus 19, 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. So that's God's people, right? But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Right? And so how, how exactly is what Jesus is saying new from what Moses said back in Leviticus? Moses said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus is saying, you know, you're, you're going you're to love one another. You're going to love the church. You're going to love the people of God. So how, how are they saying, how is Jesus saying a new thing? Well, it's new in this, in this respect. Jesus says that, that you're going to love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. So the, as I have loved you 
is the new part, okay? See, Moses didn't have that, uh, right? The, the children of Israel didn't have that. They had not been loved by Jesus the way that you and I, the way that the disciples have been loved by Jesus. It, it's almost the difference in, 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 in quality, sincerity, the depth of love that we're to have for one another. It, it's really the difference between uh, me saying, hey, I want you to prepare a dinner for our guests, okay? If I say that to my family, what that probably means is somebody needs to boil hot dogs on the stove and somebody needs to remove the pile of laundry from the love seat, right? Like, that's what that means in our house, okay? But, but if I say, hey, I want you to prepare a dinner for our guests like Martha Stewart dines her guests, okay? Now, that means a different thing, doesn't it? You know, now, now we're talking like a six-piece meal or six-course meal and, and handmade crafts for everybody at the table, right? It means stuff like that. It, it's different in, in intensity and quality, and, and, and that's really the difference Jesus is talking about here. He's saying it's new in that, that you're going to be able to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to be able to love your small group. You're going to be able to love your church the way that I have loved you, the way that you have been loved by Jesus, this is the mark. This is the outward visible evidence that you're born again. So, so not only is it you're going to love people the way that Jesus has given you an example to love, but it's also a little bit more than that. It's you're going to love people, you're going to love your church in, in the way that you have experienced the love of Jesus, okay? Um, in other words, you've been on the receiving end of the love of Jesus. And as you have received from him, you're going to give the same thing away, okay? So you're going you're to be giving away what you have received. Um, in that way, it's the, it's the kind of love that you can really only give as a believer. Because if you haven't received Jesus' love, if, you, if you've not been connected to Jesus' love, then you can't give away what you don't have, all right? So, so 1 John 4, 7, um, actually the... 4, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, we, we won't read them all, but they're all saying a similar thing. But 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I'm just going to keep reading for the sake of you can see this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that he might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, I could keep reading, but he's saying the same thing there. He's saying, you've experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ. You, you have experienced uh, God is love. He is the, the standard. He is the, the nature. He is the essence of love. And you've experienced that in Jesus. If you've been joined to Jesus, if you're born again, if you're saved, you've experienced the love of God in Christ. And so that is the love that you are to give away. That is the love that you are to give to other people. And, and so really, it's this kind of love is deeply united to faith. It's deeply united to our receiving and believing of Christ's love for us. To know this kind of love, you gotta trust Jesus. You gotta see the glory of God. You gotta have confidence in him. You gotta have joy in all that God has done in Christ. John Piper said, um, said this in, in his book, Desiring God. He said, love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. I love that definition. 
So, so in other words, I, I, I'm receiving the love of Jesus. Like I'm convinced of it. I, I'm, 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 I'm glorying in it. I'm happy in it. I'm hopeful in it. It, it, it. it drives me forward. It gives me peace. It gives me security. I'm receiving that love of Jesus. I'm believing it. I'm happy in it. And, and it's in that fullness that then I turn around and, and, and I meet the needs of others in joy, pointing them to God. All right, it's, it's that kind of love. It's, it, it's a love that is connected to God. It's a love that says, I believe that God is so glorious and awesome and sufficient and, and, and that all he's promised is mine. So I'm gonna turn around and sacrificially meet your need because of God's love for me. Now, do you see how different that is from just being a good person or being a good old boy or um, being a nice guy, doing nice things for people? Like, we can absolutely do that, but... Anybody can do that. Um, Hindus do that. Buddhists do that. Like lots of people do nice things for people um, with all kinds of different motives. That's really not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this, this receiving of the love of God and being so convinced that you are loved by God and so happy in that love that you turn around and, and you're able to, to pour out your life in, into other believers because of what God has poured into you, okay? So it, it's a love that is deeply connected to faith. First John 5, 1 John uh, 5.1 puts these two together really nicely. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So you have faith, right? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And now listen to the second part. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So, so you believe, and then if you love the Father, what do you do? Well, you, you love everybody who's been born of the Father. You, you love other believers who are joined to Jesus. The first part of John 13 that we looked at three weeks ago, great example of this. What, what does Jesus do? He, he comes in and the disciples' feet are all mucky and yucky and no, nobody wants to be the lowest servant. And so Jesus puts on a towel and he gets a basin of water and he washes the disciples' feet and he serves them. He humbles himself and he serves them. And then he says, okay, just like I did this to you, now you're going to do this to one another. And, and was he just talking about foot washing? No. Actually, the foot washing was just, a, just a, a symbol of the greater service that Jesus would do for us. Like Jesus did more than wash your feet, didn't he? Yeah. He, he, actually, he actually stooped into the muck and mire of your sin. And, and, and he cleansed you by, by his death on the cross and he made you righteous and he made you clean and he gave you his spirit and he adopted, he adopted you into his family and, and, and he made you right with God. And now what do you do? Now you're able to go stoop, right? You're, you're out of that fullness, out of that love and service that God has given to you. Now you're able to go stoop and serve others. I mean, that, that, that's the flow of love of God into you from God and out to others. And here's what the Bible would say. Man, if you can't do that, something's, something's wrong, right? Like something's out of whack. Like, like if, if you can't humble yourself and love other people, if you, if you can't love the church, if you, if, you can't, if you can't be involved in the lives of other people, it's, it's spooky because I hear that from people. You know, I want Jesus, but I don't have anything to do with anybody else because everybody else irritates me, okay? I'm like, I, man, I don't, I don't think you've got the love of God. Like, like I don't think you've received the incredible mercy of God. I don't think you're, you're, you, you've grabbed onto his incredible love because if you had, I think you would look differently about connecting to other people. 
It's one of the reasons that, man, our love for one another is never done and it's never enough. Now, now why is it never done and never enough? Well, is God's love for you ever done and enough? So like Ephesians 3, here's what Paul prays for the, the church at Ephesus. And he prays in verse 17, he says, um, let's start in verse 16. Uh, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, okay, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul prays and he says, man, I'm praying that you would have strength and strength for what, Paul? I'm praying that you would have strength to know the height and depth and breadth and length of the love of God for you. In other words, you, you, don't, know, you don't know it all yet. Like, you, you don't know how much God loves you. you. You may know a little bit or you may know a little bit more. and Some people may know a bunch, but, but you don't have anywhere near a full understanding of all that God has accomplished for you in Christ. And Paul says, man, I just, I'm praying for you that you would have strength to know more of that so that what? He says, so you'd be filled with the fullness of God. What happens when you're filled with the fullness of God? You leak, right? Like you fill up and then you, you, you leak out on everybody else. Like, like the love of God, the more you know it and the more you experience it and the more you, you, you savor it and the more joy you have in it, what does that do? It's got to do something. It, it causes you to love other people. It causes you to stoop in humility and, and to meet practical needs. It causes you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and if you don't, if that's not happening, then, then there's something vertical that's going wrong. This is why, like, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul does this several times uh, to the church at Thessalonians, which was a great church, by the way. But in, uh, let's see, in verse uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, um, I think it's 10. For that indeed is what you are doing. Oh, no, no, let's start in 9. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. I mean, do you hear what he says there? He's like, man, hey, guys, brotherly love. By the way, you're doing a great job. Everybody says that. You're, you're, you're loving all the brothers of Macedonia. That's great. Okay, now do it more. Now, why more? Why more? Because we're not done experiencing the love of God in our lives. And, and, and so the more we experience the love of God in our lives, the more we turn around and, and, and give that to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why a growing bitterness and cynicism and sharpness in a professing believer is really alarming. Okay? Now, now I, I know I'm, I'm leaving room. I'm leaving room for, uh, for hard things to happen in your life that are really hard on you. Absolutely. I, I understand that. I know that the longer we live the more trial and tragedy and struggle and heartbreak and all of that. I, I, I understand that and I affirm that. I, I, I don't want to be insensitive to that. But, but here's what I'm saying is at the same time, we, we ought to be knowing more and more of the love of God for us. Like that, that and that's bigger. That's a bigger pool than, than your suffering. No matter your suffering, it's still the love of God is actually bigger. It's an ocean, Right? 
And, and so the more we are lavished with the love of God, the more we, we experience and, and, and have joy in the love of God, the, the more we ought to turn around and be able to give that love away. And so when, whenever I, I see a believer that they're not tracking upward in, in the love of God and, in, and being able to love their brothers and sisters more, they're actually going down. Man, that, that's an alarming thing. Like that's something that we've got to reverse. We've got to change. We've got to step in. We've got to, we've got to help there in some way. Because by the way, this, this is a commandment. Did you notice that? This is not, hey, here's a cool option that you might try. No, he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. Like this, this is the commandment to the church, okay? Your king, your Lord, the one you trust, the one who owns you, the one who's the source of life, he's commanding you to love one another. Now, who is this one another, okay? Now, in the Bible, you're, you're going to find it, it tells you to love your neighbor. It tells you to love your enemy. Matthew, Matthew 5 talks about, you know, turning the other cheek and walking the extra mile and carrying the extra load and all that. Okay, that is, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Okay, that, that's a separate thing. Um, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful witness to the world that just as Jesus loved his enemies, we love our enemy. But I, that's not what he's talking about here. Okay, this, this is, this is, a, this is a, a more deep connectedness living life together, taking care of each other that belongs to the church, all right? This belongs to the people of God. Notice he waits till Judas leaves to talk to his 11 guys about, all right, the way that you guys press into each other's lives and love one another, that's going to be a display to the world. He waits till Judas leaves for that. Um, the implication of verse 35, he says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. All people is a different group than one another, right? He's saying the way that you love one another, church, believers, okay, is going to be a display to all people. That All people are going to be benefited. They're going to be benefited by seeing Jesus in the love that the church has for each other. So what, what I'm saying is this passage is talking about believers, it's talking about your small group. It's talking about your Sunday school class. It's talking about this 8.30 service combined with our 9.45 and combined with our 11. Okay? It's talking about us as the people of God in Woodward, Oklahoma. There's other places in the Bible that this is highlighted. Um, I think Matthew 25, um, where he, he talks about you. It's at the judgment, he says, hey, you know, come, welcome, come in, because you, I was naked and you clothed me, I was, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me, you know, and they, they go through all that, and then at the end he says, and the king will answer truly, truly, I say, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I think there's a special emphasis upon the people of God. So when the Holy Spirit's in you and the Holy Spirit's in me, that affects the way that we treat each other. It affects the way that we, we're involved in each other's lives. Galatians 6.10 talks about, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, all right, everyone. Like, like Christians ought to display the goodness of God everywhere they go. But, but then it says this, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, there, there's, there's a, a, another level. There's, a, there's another command beyond the everyone, which Jesus is talking about here in John 13, which is loving the body of Christ, loving the family of God, be, being joined and connected to one another in the church. There should be a unique bond with every born-again believer on this planet. 
Man, it's a beautiful thing. Um, man, from the moment we climbed into a rented vehicle with our, our huge suitcases, our five 50-pound suitcases full of books um, a couple weeks ago, from the moment that we climbed into that vehicle, we had instant fellowship with the church in Sactus Alley. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Um, wanting to be together. Wanting to know one another, wanting to serve one another, wanting to care for one another, wanting to, to worship together, wanting to pray together, wanting to speak truth into each other's lives, wanting to hang out till late at night. Because we have so much in common. We love the same king. We worship the same Lord. We delight in his work on the cross. We desire to share Jesus' story globally. We long to see his church grow and thrive. We desire to stir each other up for love and good deeds. We desire to exhort one another day after day that no one be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's the kind of love that we should have for one another. And, and so what this is going to look like is not so much a random act of kindness, but a relentless act of kindness, okay? Um, let, let, me, let, me, let me separate those two. So, so a lot of times when we think of loving, loving each other, loving a brother, what, what a lot of times comes into our mind is those beautiful opportunities where we have to like, just minister to somebody we don't even know, you know? Um, those are great. Um, I love them. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got the best hitch hitchhiker stories. I, I really do. Like, I've got some incredible hitchhiker stories of, of gospel sharing and picking somebody up in a storm, in a rainstorm, and, uh, in the middle of nowhere, in the desert. I mean, I've got some great stories like that or, or, or waitresses that we stumbled upon on Christmas Eve in Gallup, New Mexico at a, at, at a Denny's and, and able to, you know, meet and eat. But you, you know what's common in all of those you know, you know what, maybe, maybe the most beautiful and fun thing about all those, it's this. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, isn't that great? Like, to be able to step into somebody's life and meet a need and, and have a cool experience and then be like, hey, we'll see you later. Like, we know we never will, but hey, you know, goodbye. It's great, you know, God brought us in this moment and wow, that's awesome. And, and honestly, a lot of people are drawn to those who, who refuse to do what Jesus is commanding right here. Okay, because what he's commanding is something different. It, he's not saying a random act of kindness. He's saying a relentless act of kindness. In other words, day after day, like, guys, we're going to be in each other's life for the rest of our lives, right? Lord willing, you guys are going to do my funeral someday, Right? And I'll do some of yours. And, and we'll, we'll hang with each other. And, and it'll be a love that is deeply committed to the well-being of a person over the long haul. It's, it's, if you read your Old Testament, if you have an ESV, you see this word all the time. The steadfast love of the Lord. That's everywhere in the Old Testament. What, it's this... It's this relentless pursuing love. It's the kind of relentless love that battles offenses and builds bridges over the relational chasms that sin creates. It's the kind of love that sacrifices, gives again and again and again and again and again. It's that kind of love that Jesus is talking about. It's that kind of love that builds this community, this city within a city, in which the outside world says, man, those guys really take care of each other well. Those guys really love each other well. Those guys really are there for each other. Those guys really pray for and, and, and encourage and counsel and give wisdom and, and meet needs. 
over the long haul. How, how are we going to practically do that? Well, we're going to do it like Jesus. Like, uh, that's easy, right? Like, as I have loved you, so now you love one another. So the answer is we're going to do it like Jesus. So, so how did Jesus do it? Well, um, he laid down his life, right? Um, that's what it says over and over again. And I, I want to take you to 1 John. 1 John is really a commentary on John. <laughs> so written by the same guy. And, and really, a lot, of, a lot of commentators think that 1 John is actually, the whole book is really a commentator on, on what Jesus just said in John 13, 13. Like, a new commandment I give that you love one another as I have loved you. That, a lot of people believe 1 John is a commentary on those two verses, all right? And, and there's a lot of evidence toward that. But let me read you some verses here in 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 16, 17, and 18. You can, uh, you can really hang um, our interpretation on this. He says, by this we know love that, again, how do we know love? Same deal. He laid down his life for us, so Jesus loved us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, okay? So point number one is how are we going to do this practice? We're going to lay down our lives. Okay, and then verse 17 if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, or word or talk, but in deed and truth. Okay, so number two is we're gonna we're gonna meet practical needs. Um, so there's very practicalness to this. Okay, so number one, we're gonna lay down our life. Number two, we're gonna we're gonna meet practical needs. So so number one, you're gonna lay down your life. What does that mean? It means that I mean it could mean that we actually literally lay down our lives. Um, most of the time, it means that we put, we put ourselves to death a bunch, okay? We put the sin in our own lives to death a whole bunch. We lay down our rights. We put down our rights. We put down our self-preservation. We put down our comfort. We, we take up humility, right? That, that, that's, that's, Jesus said, die to yourself. That, that's what he's talking about there. We, we lay down the prioritizing of self and my own rights, and my own privileges in order to look after the needs of others. It's that great Philippians passage that we've looked at a bunch lately because we've been looking at serving and loving. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Man, don't, don't think about yourself, think about others. I mean, it's just that simple. Like, lay down your life. Like, come to church with the intent to bless. Go to your small group, and as you're getting out of your car, say, okay, God, please enable me to be a blessing to somebody. Enable me to take some hard thing off somebody. Enable me to help somebody through some hard thing. Like, intend to bless. And, and make it practical. Again, 1 John 3, 16, 17, 18, if anybody has a, a need and you, you can meet that need, man, that might be a need for friendship. It might be a need for comfort, for encouragement. It might be a need for the healing of God's spoken word. It might be a need for prayer or for compassion or for financial help or a need for wise counsel. And what does love do? Love steps into the need. And there's this missional element to this that is so crucial, okay? Let, let's go back to verse 35. By this, all of Woodward, okay, it doesn't say that, I know, and I'm not putting things in the boat, but all people, that, that's okay, right? Like that we contextualize it that way, okay? So 
So by this, all people, Woodward, okay, our community, Sharon, Moreland, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love for one another. Like there's this heavy missional impact here. In other words, we can be proclaiming the gospel and preaching and evangelizing, but if we're not loving each other well, the gospel will be hindered in its progress. Have you seen that in churches? I've seen that in churches. Well, they're doing all the right things, but the coldness and the disconnectedness is such where their witness is not powerful. The love of God in us visibly lived out in the community of a believer is a powerful and necessary testimony to the truth of the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ. So, this is one reason why we've got to do a really good job at a couple things. Number one, reconciling really quickly. Um, why do I say that? Because if we're at odds with one another, we're not loving each other well. So we've got to reconcile quickly. And this is, again, not new. What would Jesus say in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 23 if you're offering your gift at the altar, so if you're at church and you're worshiping and you're about to teach your Sunday school lesson or whatever, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your, leave your gift there at your altar. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come terms quickly. So we, we, got, we, got to, we got to reconcile quickly. There are terrible consequences for the proclamation of the gospel when God's people are perpetually at odds with one another. Along with that, um, I'm just going to emphasize this in a couple different ways. We, we've got to be really good at overlooking offenses, okay? I, I know that what you want me to preach is, is that, okay, everybody, let's just decide that none of us are ever going to be annoying again, okay? Um, that's a great thought, but it's just not realistic, okay? Um, and so the other side of that is, is Proverbs 19.11, where it says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's his glory. Man, it, I tell you, I saw this this week, actually. Whenever, whenever someone's getting snipped at and bit at and, and they just turn around with great grace and kindness, almost as if it didn't happen. Dude, I'm telling you, I cheer more for that than I cheer for any wide receiver pulling in a, a ball in the end zone, okay? Like, that's a small thing. To overlook an offense that's a glorious thing. And whenever I see a believer do that for the sake of Jesus, that's so cool. We, we got to do this because Satan, Satan will get right in the middle of our witness if we don't. 2 Corinthians 2, there's this blow up in the church at Corinth and a bunch of people got hurt feelings and uh, we don't know exactly what happened. We got some guesses from 1 Corinthians, but we don't know exactly. And Paul pleads with them to forgive and comfort this guy and reaffirm their love for him. And um, he says, man, whatever you do, you're doing in the presence of Christ. And then he ends with verse 11, 2 Corinthians 2.11. And he says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Man, we just, we got to be good at that. We got to be good at a couple things. We got we to be really good at, being relentless, we got to be really good at connecting, okay? 
I know we all want to take the path of, I'm going to love my church really well by hardly ever being there. And that way I don't annoy anybody. And that way, you know, I, I don't, you know, I never have any conflicts because I don't talk to anybody, you know, and I just come in late and I leave early and Jesus, look at how I'm advancing the kingdom of God, okay? Um, no, no, it doesn't work. We got to work really hard at being connected. We got to work really hard at, at seeing need and responding to it in the power of Jesus. And we got to look really, work really hard at not being at odds with one another. And, and forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven us. And again, where does all of this come from? Where does all, please don't forget this part. Where does all, it comes from how much God has loved you. And you, you, don't, you haven't even got, you haven't scratched the surface of that. And, and the more that you dig into that, and the more that you receive and believe and have joy in that, man, the more, the more you got in your tank to give to other people. Let's love well. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, the church. God, I thank you for Lincoln Avenue, um, the church that meets here. And Father, I, I thank you for the believers that you've called to yourself and the believers that you've called into my life and the believers that have been such a blessing to me over 25 years. God, thank you for that. And God, I pray that we might persevere with one another, that we might not lose heart, that we might not lose um, the intensity with which we care for and love one another. God, help us to care for each other really well. Lord, I know there are many that are hurting, uh, many that have gotten bad news in the last couple weeks. And Father, I pray that you would show us how we can be an encouragement, how we can be um, a blessing to them. Um, Father, help us to hold them up. Help us to love well. Um, God, I just pray that you would put people on the hearts and minds of those in this room. Um, Father, we believe in the leadership of your Holy Spirit, and so I pray that you would lead us to just respond to need, even, God, just as you would prompt us here this morning, and, God, that you would help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.